Well, that was awesome. Thank you so much, team. How's everyone this morning? Good morning again. It's great to be in church with everyone today. Um, Pastor Jerry and Jordan are away uh, this week in the Ukraine. You can follow some of their updates on social media. And it seems like they're having some neat ministry opportunities out there already with the church. And so uh, make sure to follow them and pray for them um, as they minister in this time. Uh, this morning, I got the privilege of introducing our guest speaker at Soul Sanctuary. Uh, Marty Middlestad is no stranger to us at Soul Sanctuary, as we've had the privilege of him speaking uh, to us many times. And Pastor Jerry likes to refer to him as our favorite Menno Costal. And honestly, to build on that, in fact, he actually has a, a book coming out later on this year entitled Our Lives as Menocostals. And so uh, be on the lookout for that. That'll be coming out later in the year. Uh, Marty's a New Testament professor at Evangel University in Springfield, Missouri. He's originally from Winnipeg, so I think he shares our affinity for the Winnipeg Jets, I'm thinking, yeah, um, who aren't playing right now. Anyways, moving on, right? We're going to get to this. Uh, we're blessed to have Marty uh, teach with us this morning. He's passionate about teaching the scriptures and seeing people wrestle with their faith and with ideas. And uh, we're just excited to have him. So let's give a soul sanctuary welcome this morning to Marty Middlestead as he comes to share with us today. Thank you, Jordan. Good morning. This is really weird. <laughs> Jerry uh, told me you're going to speak in a round, and I said, what is that? So I'm just kind of figuring it out as we speak here right now, as we uh, get going. So I'm probably going to wind up focusing in one particular direction, so uh, don't take it seriously if I look toward you. It doesn't mean I'm really endeared to you. It doesn't mean I'm necessarily not endeared to you. I want to first say uh, thank you for having me this morning. I want to thank uh, Jerry for sharing his pulpit, uh, allowing me to speak. I share to my students all the time that when they go into church-related work, that they ought not share their pulpits easily. Because if you share your pulpit, first of all, the positive side could be that if a person speaks well, it really makes you look good. But if not, you might have to pick up the pieces. So Jerry knows me a little bit. Hopefully he doesn't have to pick up any pieces next week when he comes back. I want to uh, begin by kind of setting up uh, how I come to my topic this morning. Of course, it's Mother's Day, and we want to say Happy Mother's Day to all of our mothers. I won't say hello to my mother and greet her this morning in this service. She's coming for the second service. But uh, we celebrate our mothers, but today I want us actually to celebrate womanhood. It's actually a little bit awkward when I... Uh, came into when I told Jerry I'd be in town and I'd offered to speak, I didn't look at my calendar in advance of uh, the call. And only a week or so after I told Jerry that I would come and speak, I realized it was Mother's Day. Frankly, I'm not a fan of secular and national holidays as a guide for how we do the church calendar. I'd much rather follow Advent, Christmas, Ash Wednesday, Lent, Good Friday, Easter, Pentecost, etc., and with this in mind, today is the third week after Easter, and it's only four, day, four weeks removed from Pentecost. And so I'd like to break with code a little bit, and if you'll allow me, let's start by thinking ahead to Pentecost Sunday, hence the reading of the Scripture this morning. So the title of my talk this morning is called, Women, Pentecost, and the Prophethood of All Believers. So let me begin by telling you a story. I want to tell you of a woman named Susanna. 
Susanna is one of my favorite human beings of all time. She was born in England in 1669. She was first and foremost a mother. She lived a beautiful life, and yet she had a life of incredibly difficult pain and suffering. She married a rather harsh and an often distant man. Her husband was often disengaged in the family. And yet Susanna had 19 children in 20 years. And nine of them did not survive infancy. She was an educator. She homeschooled her children during their younger days. She was the epitome of a loving mother. At the time of her death in July 1742, she was surrounded by her children. And she remains relatively unknown until this day, but you probably know of her sons, at least two of them. John Wesley, the founder of modern-day Methodism, and Pentecostalism, which takes its roots from the Methodist holiness movement, we stand very much in that tradition that began with the life of John Wesley. And of course, if you don't know John Wesley, many of you would know the name Charles Wesley, his brother, the great uh, English uh, hymn writer, and we sing so many of his hymns throughout the year. Hark the herald angels sing, O four thousand tongues, Jesus lover of my soul, we sing. We know so many of them. Let me tell you about Dorothy, another woman. Dorothy is also one of my favorite human beings of all time. Unlike the faithful and yet suffering Susanna, Dorothy lived a life of um, immense pain, and it was rather scandalous. She was born in New York in 1897, and upon entry into college and early adulthood, she was arrested and she was imprisoned for 30 days in, in D.C. for marching on behalf of suffragettes. Upon release from prison, she, introduced, she uh, uh, entered into a, a life of uh, promiscuity, entered into a sad love affair, got pregnant, and she endured later on a very heart-wrenching abortion. She married shortly after that. She divorced. Then she married yet again, became pregnant, and had a child. Just as she was coming to her faith, her husband, the atheist, decided to walk and now a new mother, Dorothy Day, and her baby were baptized in the Catholic Church in 1927. I don't have time to tell her story in detail, but I encourage you to check it out. Dorothy Day was the founder of the Catholic Social Worker Movement. She followed her manifesto to a T. Her manifesto was the Sermon on the Mount. And she wrote about war. She wrote about women's rights. She wrote about equal pay, about abortion, pollution. She died in 1980, a divorcee, a loving mother, and a champion for the poor. A mother and a prophet to many. Today we want to thank God for the great stories, for the messy stories, stories of endurance and stories of grace. About 500 years ago, Martin Luther, with the beginning of the Reformation, we would come back and we'd say this is the kind of the the historic origins, but Martin Luther coined a phrase that became well-known entitled, uh, the priesthood of all believers. And by that, the argument was really twofold. The argument was that, first of all, if you think about the Reformation, it was a reaction concerning the nature of faith. And by the priesthood of all believers, the idea then was that we did not need a mediator between God and human beings, that being the priest, but that we would have direct access to God. 
You understand that is the general sense of the priesthood of all believers. But what's more important that is often lost with Luther is that the priesthood of all believers for Luther meant that we didn't need a priest to do only God's work. But in essence, the priesthood of all believers turned every human being into priests. So whatever vocation we found ourselves in, whatever calling we found ourselves in, we were then the priesthood of all believers. A Canadian Pentecostal named Roger Stronstad, only a few years ago, Roger is well known in Canada and our circles out in Vancouver. He wrote a book called The Prophethood of All Believers. And he took Luther's axiom and he took it one step further and he said Luther was right, but he didn't go far enough. In fact, if we're Acts 2 people, if we truly believe what Pentecost is about, spirit being poured out on all flesh, then we ought to really believe in the prophethood of all believers. That all people filled with the Spirit are indeed called to be prophethoods, to be prophets. So I want you to bear with me and listen carefully to my use of prophethood, because I'm not talking here about prophecy in the way that you might think, think, uh, typically think of it. So we talk about women and motherhood. Let me talk about women in ministry for a moment. Tell you about a woman named Amy. Amy was born in southern Ontario in 1890. She was thoroughly converted in her late teens through the ministry of a Chicago preacher named Robert Semple. In fact, she was converted under Robert's ministry. At age 19, she and Robert got married, and off they went to China to be missionaries. They get to China. Within months after arriving in China, Robert gets a disease. He dies, young Amy is pregnant and a widow. Amy returns to North America, and within a decade, she, been, she builds Angelus Temple in Los Angeles, the largest domed auditorium at its time in the United States, a Pentecostal church. Amy Semple McPherson. She would preach to thousands every week, sometimes 15 to 20 sermons a week. She would tour the world. Sister Amy Semple McPherson founded a sister denomination of classical Pentecostals, of which we are a part of, the Foursquare Church, now the Foursquare Church International. She preached to hundreds of revivals, and she would regularly defend her right to preach as a woman. Around the same time as Amy, there was another woman that uh, was preaching and doing her circuit preaching. Her name was Eleanor Fry. Eleanor Fry would often use this line. Let me, let me cite it for you. Eleanor would say, why would God fill a woman with the Holy Spirit only to have her keep her mouth shut? Think about that. So you hear the rhetoric that that, that that offers? That's a polemical statement. That means in theory, we believe that women had a right to speak, but women still had to offer these polemical statements. If you ever get a chance to check out Sister Amy's message called From Milk Pail to, Pipe to Pulpit, you can go on YouTube and find it. And she regularly preached her sermon on why she should be allowed to preach as a woman in the pulpit. She's world-renowned, and wherever she goes, if she's speaking for five days, for eight days, for 12 days, she usually would pull this sermon out, and she would defend her right to speak as a woman. How many have ever heard a man get up and preach and say, I have a right to speak as a man because I'm male? That's just, it doesn't happen. 
me tell you about Lillian Trasher. Lillian was born in 1887. In her early 20s, she broke off her engagement 10 days before she was getting ready to be married. She had received a vision from God, and in this vision that was simply, go to Egypt. She had read a passage in Acts chapter 7, didn't really have much teeth to it, just felt like this was what God was calling her to do. She goes to Egypt, no real idea of what's going to happen. She gets into the city that she would eventually settle in, and she visits a grandmother. She hears of a grandmother who is about to throw her granddaughter, her baby granddaughter, into the river, drowning the baby because the mother had abandoned the daughter. So the grandmother is going, I've got this little child. What am I going to do? I have no resources, no availability for being, to be able to raise this child. So we're just going to abandon this, this little, little child and throw the child in the river. Lillian says, I'll take the child. In a decade, she had an orphanage with 50 orphans and eight widows. When she died... In 1961, the orphanage had grown to over 1,200 children. At the time of her funeral in 1961, Mama Lillian, who never gave birth to any child, but was a mother through her entire life, Mama Lillian would be deemed by Muslims in Egypt the virgin mother of thousands of Egyptians. Several of her children that grew up in the orphanage would eventually become members of the Egyptian government. And one of the orphans runs the um, program today, the orphanage today. And the Assemblies of God, the sister denomination of the Pentecostals of Canada, runs now about 100,000 members and adherents in Egypt. Why? Because a young woman went to Egypt and wasn't really sure what God had for her there. And look at what happened. Women in ministry, prophets called by God. We want to thank God today for prophetic women and their messy lives, women willing to be, light, to be God changers wherever God would lead them. I thank God today for a prophetic tradition like the Pentecost Assemblies of Canada in which I grew up. We believe in Pentecost. We're a tradition that believes that women filled with the Spirit like men can be called to lifelong ministry in the church, at home or abroad. We thank God that the same Spirit that would rest upon Jesus, rest upon those in the early church, that same Spirit rests upon people like Mama Lillian and Sister Amy. The Spirit of the Lord is upon us because He has anointed us to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So we have great stories of women and motherhood, women and ministry. Let me tell you about two other women. Is it two? Might be three. We'll see. Two of my favorite women. Let's put this one together. Talk about Liz for a minute. Liz is an older woman, somewhat forgotten, definitely less visible than her husband, but her fate would change one day when as a barren woman... She and her husband, Zach, would conceive. They would bear a son named John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus. What always strikes me about Elizabeth is her ministry to a young refugee. Little verse 
Luke 1, 56. According to this passage, the, a young woman stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. You see, Elizabeth, pregnant herself, would hide a young, pregnant, and unwed girl from public, a public that would have little patience for an apparent sexual deviance. Yes, Elizabeth took the young, pregnant Mary, probably a 13 to 15-year-old girl, filled with the Holy Spirit and already prophesying at the revelation that was given to her following the, the, the appearance of the angel, prophesying about rulers and kingdoms and the rich and the poor and the proud and the humble. But this young woman would deliver her child after being taken in as a refugee by Elizabeth, and she would be with Jesus through his entire life, death, resurrection, and on the day of Pentecost, she would be there with 120. She would be among the men and women to participate in the first great deluge of the Spirit. You can probably make a good case that in the New Testament, Mary is the best example of what it means to be a woman filled with the Spirit or a man. So Elizabeth, the hostess, to Mary, the refugee. Mary, the young virgin girl, the virgin prophet who would speak to powers. I think of such women in my own encounters on a daily basis. As it was said, I, grew, I now live in Springfield, Missouri. Been there now almost 20 years, which is hard to believe. I left Winnipeg when I was 18 and moved back and forth only a few times. It's hard to believe that I've been in Springfield now longer than I've lived in Winnipeg at one particular time. But I've come across some wonderful human beings. Donna Walmsley is a wonderful friend of mine. She attends St. Elizabeth Ann Seton Catholic Church, and she is the director of an organization of which I'm a part. She's a feisty woman. She coordinates meetings, events, protests, agitations with government, and she is a beautiful woman. She is a woman filled with love, a woman filled with compassion, and a woman with great indignation. She leads an organization called Missourians for Alternatives to the Death Penalty. Yeah, really. This is my home. She leads a nonviolent army of activists that are attempting to end a barbarous, racist, and corrupt system in my home state of Murray, Missouri, the second worst state in the United States for death penalty um, executions. Many men and some women sit on death row, hated and scorned and not included by a good number of Christians. She is a pro-life prophet. She is a preacher of justice. Let me tell you about another friend from Springfield, Missouri, Susan Schmaltzbauer. I met her through her husband, John, a religious studies professor at Missouri State University. Susan leads a grassroots community effort in Springfield to end payday loans in Springfield. I'm not sure what uh, the systems are like today. I've been out of Canada so long, but uh, payday loan ideas, probably familiar with some of them. I'm sure the Canadian government has some, uh, some hands in the, the, the extent to which these things can take place. Payday loan companies in Springfield Many of them charge over 400% interest. Often payments can be made only on interest 
People cannot pay on interest on principal. They can pay only on interest. They can pay on their principal only if they pay off the entire loan in one payment. Do you get that? This is corrupt. This is horrific stuff. So these people, they get into the system. The scam leaves them trapped, and they are stuck there for years, sometimes decades at a time. In Missouri, these payday loans are legal, and state-level initiatives are now trying to bring about some change, but the change is going very, very slow. But Susan, today, is in the face of our Chamber of Converse, Chamber of Converse, Congre- uh, Commerce pardon me, in Springfield. She's a champion of justice. Like Mary prophesied, she's speaking to powers on behalf of the poor. Let me tell you about another favorite human being of mine. Let's come back to Canada. Her name is Miriam. Miriam lives in Toronto, but she grew up in Steinbeck. Any Steinbeck folk here? A lot of Steinbeck folk don't really appreciate Miriam, so you might not smile here in a moment. Miriam ranks, I believe, among the most prophetic authors in Canada today. She is a prolific Canadian author. She is the winner of the Governor General's Award for Fiction. She grew up Mennonite. Today, my term for her, I would probably call her a jaded feminist ex-Mennonite. I kind of like that. She grew up Mennonite. I'm not sure exactly if I say ex-Mennonite where that leaves her in terms of faith today. But I think she ranks today as one of the great important voices concerning people and women on the margins. So as you've heard earlier, many of you know my love and appreciation for Mennonite faith and tradition. But Miriam Taves, regardless of her faith status, she joins with other women to fulfill the hopes and the dreams of Mary's statement. So whether Donna is calling for people to truly be pro-life, meaning challenging issues of the death penalty, or Susan's call to be truly pro-life by calling to the injustices that carry people down, hold them down, trap them forever, or Miriam's prophetic call to address the ever-visible issues of mental illness and depression around us and violence against women. We are grateful for such prophets, and we need to enable more of them, filled with the Spirit, to speak to the powers. So we've talked about women in motherhood, women in ministry, women and justice. Let's conclude with women as agents of forgiveness. Some years ago, Evangel University, we were hosting a conference on faith and forgiveness, and we had an opportunity to bring in a woman named Immaculate. Immaculate uh, wrote a book called Left to Tell, and in it, Immaculate tells a graphic story, a horrific story, a brutal story, and yet a beautiful story at the same time. You see, Immaculate, born in 1972, in 1994, the Rwandan Holocaust began. We don't use that word very, very simply. We think Holocaust, it typically comes back to, to the Jewish Holocaust, horrific as that is. But it was a genocide, the Rwandan genocide. And over a period of 90 days in 1994, one million Tutsis 
were slaughtered, were killed brutally and maliciously in Rwanda by their fellow Hutu neighbors. Many of these families were blended. Hutu and Tutsi families had, had, had been married together. Many of these families actually went to church together. And the, the, the genocide breaks out. Can you imagine coming into church today? Hutus over here, Tutsis over here, and they slaughter them right on the spot. It was a horrific 90-day event. Immaculate came and shared her story. Immaculate lived for 90 days in a three-by-four bathroom, a wardrobe bathroom, in a home by a, by a, um, a Hutu pastor who at its own risk defended these women, kept them there. These women were placed in this three-by-four bathroom, a wardrobe closet placed in front of it. They were there for 90 days. When they were free and escaped 90 days later, Immaculate didn't even know the names of the girls that she had spent 90 days with. Can you hear me on that? They were afraid even to say a word for fear that people outside would hit with the noise. They would hear that they would come in and slaughter them. No insulation. 90 days. Immaculate, a devout Christian, Catholic follower of Jesus, 2007, she received the Mahatma Gandhi Recon uh, Reconciliation and World Peace Award. That sounds big. That sounds amazing. And it is. What did she do? She goes around the world doing healing and forgiveness workshops, bringing people with histories of hatred and violence together. In fact, Immaculate would say this, that the beauty of the gospel is that where you have histories of conflict, where two people groups are going from oppressor to victim, what happens when the cycle switches? It just flips around and you start all over again. And this just goes on and on and on again. And what Immaculate says, as, a, as an agent of forgiveness through the lens of the gospel, it's only the gospel, it's only the love of Jesus that can break these kinds of barriers down long term. Immaculate is a prophet of forgiveness. I must uh, tell one more story, though, of another beautiful woman and one of the most profound experiences of my life. In 2000, just before I went down to Evangel in Springfield, Missouri, I was pastoring in Brandon. I was the chair of the local ministerial, and we were planning a citywide millennial celebration. And we had talked about our guest. We had uh, solidified this guest to come and be with us. And I said, I used my power here use my card, right? I'm the chair of the local ministerial. We're hosting Kim. She's going to be with us. Kim was our guest speaker. She's from Toronto. We had her over for dinner one night, and it was probably one of the most profound experiences, again, in my life, particularly as it impacted my daughter then, Rachel, who was only nine at the time. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Students, turn your phones off. <clears throat> my brother-in-law. <laughs> well, that was embarrassing. Okay, get your head back on here. <laughs> I don't think that's ever happened to me. You, I'm sure, Jerry, it happens all the time. <sighs> we had Kim over. You see, Kim remains nameless to most people on this planet. 
but she's familiar to millions of us around the world. Her picture was taken by a man named Nick Oot on June the 8th, 1972, and then was published on the front page of the New York Times. It shows the, uh, a young woman, a young girl, and her family fleeing from her village in South Vietnam. You can see it up on the screen. How many remember that picture? Kim Fuch. Her village had come under occupation by North Vietnamese forces, and a South, North, South Vietnamese pilot mistook the village as enemy soldiers and dropped a napalm bomb, and you see her fleeing from the village. As I already said, today Kim Fook lives in Toronto with her husband and two children, and as recently as in 2017, she stated that the trauma she suffered in the napalm strike still requires treatment. But even worse than that, she says, the physical pain was, even worse than the physical pain was the emotional and the spiritual pain. And this led directly to her conversion to Christianity, which she credits with the healing of the psychological trauma of living over 40 years as being known as the girl in the picture. Just out of curiosity, when I said the girl in the picture, how many of you knew who I was talking about? You knew it by that picture. How many knew would have known the name Kim Fuchs? Probably very few of us. A very real person, a really ordinary person and woman who has to go through life and, and struggle with the, the trauma, the long-term trauma of a experience as a young girl. But she states further, my faith in Jesus Christ is what has enabled me to forgive those who have wronged me. She wrote, no matter how severe these wrongs may have been. I encourage you to read her uh, a biography on her, her story. But I remember well the day that she was in my home and my daughter Rachel asked Kim to roll up her sleeves and then request to touch Kim's arm. You see, Kim wears long sleeve shirts. She would roll up the sleeve and Rachel looked at her arm and with tears and she touches Rachel's arm, or uh, Kim's arm. She's never forgotten that moment. Rachel touched and felt prophetic justice. Her touch impacted our family and many other families through the course of our lives. Prophets speak to anger, to hatred, to generalizations of hatred and they seek to bring us to forgiveness. So it's time to close, and I close with some maybe comments about gratitude, maybe some implications of all these stories, pulling them together, and maybe if you'd allow me to consider these my prayer, my closing prayer. And if you would like to pray with me in these as I share them, I encourage you to do so. At the, at the, last, at the final point as well, I also want to say that if some of the things I'm sharing today, we've not had a very good record in the church and Pentecostalism concerning the role of women. So if some of these are challenging, I want to encourage you to wrestle with them, to ask the hard questions. My goal is not simply to give you answers, but to hopefully get you to consider some things with regard to the way in which we understand spirit-filled women. So to the women who are here today, I speak to you. We thank God for you. We thank God for women who are filled with the Spirit. We thank God for our mothers. Motherhood is a high, high calling. 
No amen? Seriously? Should I try that again? Motherhood is a high, high calling. Whether Mary, Elizabeth, Susanna, Dorothy, Mama Lillian, or my mother, we know that motherhood is often painful, excruciating, it's exhausting. But today we thank God for our mothers who speak and live prophetic lives before their children and their communities. We thank God today for women in ministry. Someone may want to join with me as we ask forgiveness for mixed messages that we've sent concerning our understanding of the role of women in God's kingdom efforts. We confess that our tradition has all too often succumbed to societal and Christian voices that portray the fixity of gender roles and marginalize our women with weaker sex rhetoric. We confess that we've all too often hindered you, our women, from fulfilling your collective callings as spirit-filled women where we have failed you Today, we ask forgiveness and we pray that God would encourage you and embolden you for the future. Today, we thank God for just women, for women who live justice, those whose just lives pave the way for future women. So many women, whether Catholic or Mennonite, Anglican or Pentecostal, women of faith or not women of faith, urban or rural, young or old, sound like Acts chapter 2? Young or old, we pray that you would continue the life and the words of the prophet Joel, the words of Peter citing Joel on the day of Pentecost, or the words of Micah, to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. We pause today to thank God for the complexities of your lives. The women in our lives, we thank God for your endurance and your patience with us. We pray that God will continue to give us, to give you, pardon me, to give you prophetic dreams and to provide the resources you need in order to act upon these dreams. Where we have failed to support you, again, we ask forgiveness and we pledge future partnership with you. We want to pause today and thank God for women in this room and men, some in this room who have been recipients of God's gracious work by women, whether in our homes, the church, or the marketplace. But we pray for others, both men and women, in desperate revelation of God's character, God's love and mercy. Perhaps you've been wounded by poor representation of women, oftentimes poor representation of women by men. At this point, then, I don't call you immediately to venture into the hopes and dreams of a prophetic life, though that would be down the road. At this point, I would simply ask and desire that you would give us one more chance, that you would allow God to open your heart one more time to speak into your life. We pray perhaps tonight or this morning for someone who's in this room, a woman or even a man, who may hear God's call to be a trailblazer on behalf of women. We need women today to challenge the rulers, the powers of this age. We need women today in the church, in the marketplace, to pave the way for other women down the road. And this is a hard call 
Listen to this. This is a very difficult call. It's one thing simply to, to do your work, to, to engage in your platform, your ministry, your kingdom efforts, but it's another thing to do that on behalf of other, other women because that is a difficult road because you are taking the heat based upon your role as a woman, not simply your role as a kingdom worker. But we need some trailblazers today. We need the people that are visible to our young people, to our generation, that God wants to use women in the same way he can use any man. Oh, I got one. So may be bold in the face of adversity so that in the future women will benefit from your voice. We pray that you will find mentorship and support for such a calling. And finally, finally, given the absence of a uniform account in Scripture on women, should I say that again? The absence of a uniform account on the role of women in Scripture. Women live in every location of society. They function in every location of society in the ancient world. Yes, it's a patriarchal world. Yes, it's a hierarchical world. It's not egalitarian as a 21st century theorist would say. We live in, in the scriptures, women filled every location. We thank God that you continue the story of the scriptures. We thank God for biblical and historical revelation that continues to show us women in all locations. We thank God this morning for every female educator, minister, business person, restaurant worker, politician, wife, mother, farmer, writer, counselor, scientist, medical professional, and I've missed some, but I say dot, dot, dot. And though I've shared many larger-than-life stories with you this morning, whether you're a woman here today and you serve one or you serve ten, whether you serve a hundred or whether you serve a thousand, we thank God for prophetic motherhood, for prophetic ministry, prophetic justice, and prophetic agency toward forgiveness. This is our confession this morning. This is our declaration. And this is our call. Be in peace. Thanks so much. Awesome. Thank you so much. Wasn't that encouraging this morning? And in, in that vein, we're going to continue down this path of um, honoring women. And so during coffee, we had you stop by the Welcome Center and fill out some of these cards. And I'm going to read a few uh, that we thought were just fitting and uh, we could celebrate women here today, and then we're going to read a winner at the end who's going to receive our prize this year. So let me go through a couple of these with us this morning. As a, wo a woman I celebrate is Faye Pasveer, because Faye is a super mom and a fantastic friend. Thank you for all the time you spend cooking and cleaning, but especially for listening and laughing with me every day. My name is Kira Pasveer. A woman I celebrate is Caitlin Cron because my mom is so great in the whole wide world. She fills my heart with love. She just makes me feel special. She is just so great in my life. I love her so much. She is the best mom ever, Adeline Cron. <laughs> 
A woman I celebrate is Natasha Haynes because she said I can't eat if I don't write one. <laughs> and my mom is the best mom ever. <laughs> Love and she loves me even when she gets mad at me. My name is Kenan. A woman I celebrate is Jennifer Weens because she's a fighter. She takes everything that life throws her way. She holds a full-time job working from home and still takes care of our two kids and me. Thanks, Jen. My name is Brad, Brock, and Beth. These are just awesome, aren't they? We're just celebrating today. But uh, this is the one that we've chosen as our winner. And so after I read this, I'm going to invite this person just to come to the stage. And Pastor Sean is going to present you uh, with a gift this morning. And here it is. A woman I celebrate is Loris Enns because she does so much for me and my family despite being sick all the time with Lyme disease. Thanks for everything you do, Mom, and for not giving up. My name is Jenna Enns. And so let's honor and clap um, for Loris this morning. And come forward, Loris, if you're wherever you are. And we'd just like to present you with a gift this morning. <laughs> And so thank you, Marty, for that, just that great word this morning. And I just want to encourage us today just to keep celebrating women and the women that are in our lives. And um, I'm just going to ask everyone to stand. And I'm going to conclude with a blessing today as we uh, leave today. And so in ancient times, the one who blessed did so by extending hands. And those who want to receive a blessing did likewise. If you'd like a blessing, please extend your hands this morning. And here it is. Loving God, we thank you for hearing our prayers, feeding us with your word, and encouraging us in our time together. Take us and use us to love and serve you and all people. In the power of your spirit, in the, in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Have a great, great, great Sunday. Happy Mother's Day. And just a great day to all the women here today. God bless you. We'll see you next week.